If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I invite some of the friendliest and most hardworking writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's day is the, oh, I should have checked this but first, uh, 4th of February um, and we are streaming ahead into the year. We are already into the second month, 2020 is underway. Um, I hope your 2020s are going great so far. I know that I've been keeping myself busy, <coughs> getting a lot done, um, but it's crazy how quickly time comes around and how how the year blurs by, particularly the older you get. I think we all know that it comes at some point and I know I'm not the oldest person on the planet, but still every year it just gets faster and faster and it never seems like enough time just to get the things done that you need to, which is why it's always important to prioritise and that's what I've been trying to spend the last week doing. I've been doing a lot more planning in the books that I'm currently working on. I've got a series underway, um, which is probably the most planned I've been in a book for a while, Uh, more so because it's going to extend over a three to four book arc um, and I found that having that plan, even if you don't stick to it, has been massively helpful just for, for getting you off in the, the right direction and knowing whereabouts you're heading. Because um, normally I'm someone that tends to not entirely pants a plot, but I will have a core idea, I'll sketch it out, and then I'll just I'll just hit the track running. And uh, yeah, this is the first one where I've taken that series and gone, you know what, I'm going to give it a, a solid plan, get it underway, and uh, it's working out well so far. I'm about, uh, I want to say, a third of the way through the first draft. Um and it's exciting. It's going to be a, a, a little bit that's cut, I think, probably trimmed down a bit in the edits. But no, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, what else have I been doing? So I have updated my website. That's brand new. Uh, it's not live yet because it's currently in the transfer window of switching domains from who I was with, which was Wix, and who I'm with now, which is Squarespace. Um, no particular allegiance to them all. I think both offer their own uh bonuses with their their own pros and cons the the wix websites are very very easy to design but you don't really have that um structure in the same way that squarespace does so wix for people that don't know is a drag and drop creator anything you can put anywhere it doesn't really matter um you have to as an additional step go in and optimize it for mobile manually however you want whereas squarespace is drag and drop but it drops into specific structures it splits on sort of a grid in the background um, it just makes it easier to manage and that was what i was looking for was something that was a bit more easy to manage than having to if i want to move one thing shuffle everything else around squarespace kind of does that for me so um i am also working on putting a blog on the squarespace site as well so one thing i've wanted to do for a while and i've not found a good way to do it with wix is to install a blog not really so much for keeping, not really so much for other people looking at the work that I'm doing, but more so just because I want to keep myself accountable. I want to have some kind of track of what I'm doing. And if I drop a couple of nuggets that people enjoy along the way, then um, that's fantastic. And yeah, the website is looking brand new and shiny and I love it so far. But I'm just waiting for that final switch in which I can announce that it's live and it's going to be exciting. And there's a good chance that by, uh, so what day will it be when this episode launches? So uh, if by 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th of February, it might be live. Check it out. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, if it's still got a Wix ad banner at the top, then it hasn't transferred over, but I'll, I'll keep you uh, updated on that. Um, and one thing I did want to do as well, just on this intro, is uh, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts this week, and there is a lot of good content going out there for authors. And um, I guess it's kind of unusual for some podcasts to shout out other podcasts that are working in the same arena, but I've been listening to a lot of different writers' podcasts and being really impressed by uh, the caliber of the podcast. They, they're teaching me a lot. The guests are on there. They know what they're doing. Um, and I just wanted to shout out uh, a few of those. And the first one is the Unstoppable Authors podcast, which, 
even though I was a guest on there myself a couple of weeks ago, it's no allegiance to that at all. I've been listening to it for a while and, and the girls are fantastic over there. Um, listen to their episodes today about social media and they've got some really good nuggets of wisdom for people looking to up their social media game the do's and don'ts kind of a very practical um look at how you operate social media as an author and the platforms that you can be working with uh the career author is another one my guys uh, jay thorne and zach bohannon uh, jay thorne a previous guest of this show and a uh, and zach bohannon a future guest of this show um and they're just doing fantastic things over at the career author. They go a lot into the mechanics of the publishing market, the world. Um, they they speak between themselves about their mindsets, their projects going on, and there's sort of a lot of really good content over there. And uh, also Rebel Author Podcast. So again, a, a former uh, guest of the show, Sasha Black, and the Rebel Author Podcast. Been listening to that, and uh, she's been killing it over there, just getting getting people on who are of a solid caliber to teach what it is that they're trying to teach. Because... Um, you find that a lot in uh, this industry, I say a lot sometimes in this industry, you get people who talk the talk but haven't necessarily walked the walk and Sasha's doing really well at curating that list of guests which know what they're talking about and they give solid, solid bits of wisdom. Um, and one additional thing, oh, one that I didn't put on my list which uh, I've just reminded myself of, um, if you're not already checking out the Writers Inc podcast, uh, which is Jay Thorne's new one, then go over and check that out. He's recently had an interview uh, with the one and only James Patterson, which is in, it's mind-blowing. Um, James Patterson's obviously like the godfather of, of current publishing and, and authorship. And just just check it out. He's got a really good interview over there. Um, and that's in collaboration with his buddy J.D. Barker, who's a pretty big deal as well. So check those out. Um, it's well worth it. And uh, I'll stop rambling about other people's podcasts now. So you can listen to this one. So my guest today is Steph Green, who is an author from New Zealand, and she is uh, this. This conversation was was really inspirational. It was one of the, the the ones where you come off from talking to the the guest, and you just feel fired, you feel pumped, you feel ready for it because um, she is not only a successful author in her own right. She's a speaker, she runs courses, but she's also been declared legally blind, and she has just made a absolute whopper of a career by just powering through and doing the thing that she loves. And I think at the end of the day, that's what anyone who is listening to this um, podcast is is looking to do. And I think we go a lot into different things in the conversation. Some of the some of the main points we go into is uh, one of them being the mental shift in writing what you think you should be writing versus writing the things which gain traction. So when people are putting out content, sometimes you might find that the things that perhaps aren't your go-to, but things that you also love are the things that take off. And it's about managing that mindset in terms of, um, well, on its basic level, money versus sort of the art. And there is a way to combine them both. Steph goes really sort of, uh, what's the word, sort of really, she really elaborates well on that choice for her, how she managed to ride the wave and make a career that she's happy with and still enjoys along the way. Um, we go into the importance of habits and delivering to your own promises. So people who are regular listeners of this podcast know that I am a sucker for habits. I absolutely love it. I like uh, teasing out habits of authors, guests, and just seeing what it is specifically that they make work because I selfishly go away and try and incorporate those into my life and see how they work. But that's the only way you can learn is by trying different things and getting it out. But um, yeah, we go a lot into habits and making sure that you are not only delivering for other people, you are living up to your own promises and being accountable for yourself. And we go into uh, setting boundaries with the day job. If you're currently working a day job and you're thinking, I don't have time to write, I'm, I'm working through lunch breaks, I have to do this, I've got this deadline. Uh, we, we talk a lot about into setting boundaries within um, the day job and remembering what is important in your life because when you are 70, 80, 90, when you've left this planet, what is it you want to be remembered for? Um, so we go into a, a, a lot of deep stuff here, and I really enjoyed talking to Steph. Uh, update on Patreon. We have no new patrons this week, but if anyone wants to get involved and uh, pledge to support the show for as little as just $1 a month, you can head over to www.patreon.com forward slash great writer share. And there you can donate for as little as $1 a month and get um, instant access to all the different bonuses and advantages, including asking guests our questions. So the segment at the end where we have our guests literally just answer anything that the patrons put out there, that could be you. And all you have to do is go over to patreon.com forward slash great writers share. And without any further ado, we're going to go straight into the interview with the one, the only Steph Green. (laughs) 
Steph Green is a USA Today best-selling and award-winning author, blogger, metalhead, and heavy metal maiden living in an off-grid home on four acres of rural paradise in New Zealand with her cantankerous drummer husband, four cats, a menagerie of farmyard animals, and their medieval sword collection. She publishes dark fantasy and science fiction under the name S.C. Green and paranormal romance as Stephanie Holmes. Her most popular books are set in the fictional English town of Crooks Hollow and are described by one reviewer as dark and steamy, a gothic delight. All of this has been found despite Steph being completely colorblind, photophobic, and legally blind. In 2017, she was awarded the Attitude Award for Artistic Achievement, which recognizes achievement in the disability sector. And in 2018, she was a finalist for a Woman of Influence Award in the Arts category. Steph, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. No, I'm so excited to have you here. I mean, just going through that intro, there's, there's a lot to dive into this interview that I, I kind of want to get stuck into. But my first question for you might be one that you're not expecting. And that is, why do you hate black jelly beans? <laughs> oh, they're just gross. <laughs> Someone they're who's described gross. himself as a metalhead. The black ones you think would be your, your number one go-to. Oh, yeah, you would totally think so. Mm. Um, but no, I'm all about like the red ones, like the fruity, um, oh, the, yes. the berry flavoured ones. Um, yes. But black, but black licorice. It's like licorice, but not good licorice. It's just blah. <laughs> yeah, I'm you? with you. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of anything licorice at all, really. Unless it's sort of, unless it's alcohol in which you can just force it down your throat. But um, let's, not, <laughs> let's not take this interview in that direction so early. <laughs> Uh, so Steph, I'd love for you just to give a little bit of background to uh, my audience. We've got where you are now. We've got some of your um, achievements on the way. How did it all get started for you? Where did where did the the writing bug bite you, and how did it all begin? It's a super 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 long story, uh, but oh. I will try and keep it really short, um, relatively <laughs> short. Um, so you know, like most writers, I have always wanted to write books. Um, always, always, always. I used to write lots and lots when I was a kid. Um, and, um, but I always actually, I, I didn't actually, well, I kind of wanted to be a writer, but I wanted to be, I always wanted to be a writer and an artist and uh, something else. And since I was about seven, I wanted to be an archaeologist. And so that's what I went to university for. Uh, and I had an honor, got an honors degree and I did all these digs all over the world and um, worked in some museums and it was really, really amazing. Um, but it's quite, when you, go out into the real world uh, um, out of academia it's quite hard to get uh, work and that feel like paid work Mm. Um, and it's doubly triply especially hard if you are like me and you have an eye problem uh, and people sort of look at you and go well kind of happy for you to work for me for free but if I'm going to pay you I, I you know I think that you know I don't really want to pay a blind person to handle artifacts um and so when I was trying to find a job, um, I kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back for stupid reasons, um, which had much more to do with people's misconceptions about what um, what a vision impaired person or a blind person can do than they had to do with what I could actually do. Um, and I got, a bit, I got a bit upset about it. Um, and my husband sort of said to me, um, well, you could kind of look at it this way. You could look at it as, as if... Um, you've kind of done, you've done archaeology, you know, you've worked on all these digs and, you know, you've been in museums and that's been really amazing. Um, but maybe you could think about, well, is there something else that you would like to do now that you've knocked that off your list? Um, that would be a thing that people couldn't, you know, couldn't push back on you like this. Um, and um, the first thing that came to my head was, well, you know, I'd love to be a writer and, you know, writing you do at home on your, your computer and no one kind of sees you and they can't sit there and tell you what you can't write because you can't see. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um, so I sort of, but I didn't really know how writers actually earn money. So I did what any self-respecting millennial would do and I Googled how to make a living as a writer. <laughs> and I... <laughs> and this was sort of 2010 maybe 2009 2000 maybe even earlier than that um and I sort of started trying to do all the things that were on the list so I I started doing freelance writing I started a blog because blogs were super big back then um I um yeah I, did, I kind of started um talking to people I knew who ran businesses or, and just asking them if they needed any writing done, that kind of thing. Um, and I 
dragged out this old um, manuscript, uh, like a vampire story that I'd been writing all through, on and off, all through university. And I dragged that out and I, f- I polished it off and um, I sent it off. And I ended up working with a publisher for a few years um, on that manuscript and then another couple of manuscripts. And um, I think it was 2011-ish, 12-ish, I... I got the I got the news. You know, finally after all these years of work, I had a publishing deal, and it was so exciting. It was amazing. Um, and then the editor I was working with um, retired, and the publishing house used that as kind of an excuse to cut half of her line back. Um, and I was one of the authors that got cut. So before my book was even published, was out the door. Um, and back to where I started from. And it was around that time when um, people like Hugh Howey, Amanda Hocking, Jay Conrad, sort of the really early self-publishers, um, were starting to talk about, you know, how they published all these, these books and put them on sale for 99 cents and all these people were buying them on Kindles. And around that time, I also got, I also got given a Kindle. Uh, and I was starting to read more books as ebooks, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever because I could suddenly I could make all my books a large print and I could carry around these big heavy paperbacks, but it was only like this little tiny device. It was the coolest <laughs> thing. Um, and so yeah, and so I got super excited, um, and I decided that I would self-publish uh, just as an experiment. I would self-publish the series that got um, rege- uh, that, that the publisher. Um, kicked off and I did that sort of 2013 2014 started doing that and it it didn't it didn't sell very well but I was super 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 it was so much fun I was so excited about having my own book in my hands and kind of seeing the sales come in and trying different things and choosing my own cover and it was just it just super appealed to me uh and so I was doing that and I was starting to think that this this really was what I wanted to do with my life, was just write books and publish them. Uh, and so one day I went to a party and a friend of mine was talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, which was super big at the time. And I was kind of trashing it a bit, which, you know, a lot of people do. Um, and she was getting a little bit, she's getting a little bit annoyed with me, which is completely fair because, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't trash other people's work and you shouldn't trash other people's taste in books. This show is getting a bit annoyed with me. She said, well, it's not like you could write a book like that. And I sort of said, yeah, well, you're probably right. But in my head I was going, well, challenge accepted. <laughs> and so in complete, in complete secret without telling anyone, not even my husband, I wrote this little 30,000 word paranormal romance novella. And I published that uh, under a secret pen name, which was is not secret anymore, which was Stephanie Holmes. I just took my first name and then I took the name of a fictional husband I would I would have liked, which was Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> um, and I published this little paranormal romance under this pen name. And I thought, well, you know, I, in a year's time or so, I'd probably tell my friend about it and have a bit of a laugh. Uh, and then it sold a thousand copies in the first week. Incredible. I mean, oh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I sort of sheepishly had to tell my husband, well, I'd actually sort of made a bit of money off my self-publishing this month, but it wasn't from my super serious, super dark science fiction books. It was from my my silly little um, paranormal romance novella. And when he stopped laughing about it, he said, well, you're going to write some more. And I thought, well, yes, actually, yes, I am. And so I, f- I finished off that series in sort of four or six weeks or something. Um, and then I just, I just kept writing them uh, because it was so much fun and I was just having a blast and, uh, you know, readers were asking, you know, what's next? Can I have more? You know, I want to learn more about the world. Um, and so I just, yeah, I just kept writing them. Um, and I discovered that, yeah, I was, I was secretly uh, a romance author. Fantastic. And that was, yeah, that was sort of 2015. And yeah, basically I've been publishing approximately a book every two months ever since. Uh, and uh, February 2018, I quit my day job 
um, congratulations at a tech company and thank you uh, and I've been hanging out at home with the cat horde uh, writing <laughs> books ever since fantastic I uh, I'd love to dive into the moment in which those that that first thousand copies sold because obviously that's a that's a dream moment for a lot of authors who are um, trying to make it as a full-time author people are really sort of like pursuing that career and one thing that I'm massively interested about in that moment is uh, from what it sounds like and obviously correct me if I'm wrong the books you were originally writing were the ones that you felt like you should be writing the stuff that you wanted to write they were the stuff that were um, what I'd probably say would be what you thought were true to you and yes. then you made this other book had a bit of fun with it and obviously that was the one that accelerated into success now in that moment I know a lot of people would, myself included, would struggle to make the choice between do I go for the profitability with the, the series that's fun or do I stick with my what my gut is telling me at that time and go for the books that I think I'm passionate about more. Um, how, how did that decision come around for you? Was it as simple as I had fun, this is going to make money versus the other side or was it sort of more than that? Can you talk us through that kind of uh, process for you? It was, it was really interesting. I think... Um, I think to a certain extent, um, I, I had been reading a lot about self-publishing and how to be successful and, and, and things like this. And I think my goal was very clear from the beginning, which was that I, I, I wanted to quit my job. I wanted to write books full time. And I think when I, I mean, when I published, when I wrote that book, when I published that book, the, the, the romance book, um, it was it was so much fun and it was it was quite nice to write a book where I didn't have to go and research lots of things. Um, not to <laughs> say that I don't do research for my romance books because I do, but my science fiction series, which yes, I thought was the thing, the kind of thing I wanted to write. I basically I wanted to be the next um, China Mayville. Um, was set in it was kind of a steam like a super dark steampunk book and it was set in an alternative history Georgian England and mm. so I kept having to run off and do all this research and it was it was very heavily historically based um, and so you know they probably each book there's three books in the series they about 150,000 words each um, and they probably took me you know I think the first one took me four or five years to write in the series one took me two years kind of thing so they took mm. they took a, a, a lot of effort um and you know for that effort I wasn't seeing you know I wasn't seeing readers love them as much as I loved them um and I think when you see when you, when you just see it in front of you in black and white those numbers you know I sold 10 copies of the first book in my science fiction series last month and I sold a thousand copies of this book <laughs> in a week <laughs> um and I think when you see it on on paper like that and you go well they were both equally fun to write um and uh, this one sold a thousand copies, and this one sold ten copies, and this one's got readers begging to have, you know, begging to find out the next bit, and this one, you know, doesn't. And mm. I think, yeah, I think, I think almost the readers made the decision for me. Yeah. Uh, well, that's certainly that's how I felt about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, um... And and the, the other thing. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say the other thing about it that was quite interesting was because I was publishing these science fiction under my own name I had a lot of personal attachment to it yes. um, and, and that meant that I was making decisions based on what I liked which is very different from making decisions based on the market or what readers want so you know I chose covers based on what I liked I wrote the blurb based on you know what's a book I would read um, you know I did all those things uh, you know even the plot and everything like that was all based on you know what I wanted uh, and then when I wrote the the romance book, because I was doing it just sort of as this personal challenge, it was almost as if I took myself out of it to a certain extent because I was writing under a pen name that I never intended to show anyone. It, it didn't bother me what the cover looked like. So I just <laughs> I just hired a designer. I think my first cover cost me $50 or something. Um, and, and I just said, you know, make a cover that, that, readers, you know, that readers would like. Um, and, you know, to write the blurb, I read 20 other blurbs and I, I thought, well, you know, this is what readers like to read in the blurb. So, you know, I'm going to write something that sounds kind of like this. Um, and it, I think it was that 
sort of accidental shift in mindset from going, you know, what, you know, what, 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 from making all about me to being about me, but also about the readers was a big key. Um, I think a big key to the difference you know, between the sales. Yeah. Mm. I love that so much because it resonates. It resonates a lot with uh, some of my own stuff that I've been doing in that um, there's a genre that I like to think I'm known more for, but it's definitely not the one that's earning me the most royalty. So I'm in the middle of that kind of mindset shift of, okay, moving away from uh, the thing where, which I do, I do generally love from, from the heart, but into the stuff that, you know, I can deliver that people are waiting for that is actually making the income that keeps me full-time writing. And that mentality itself is something that I know a lot of people um, may not necessarily have faced, but have thought about that, that uh, I guess it's almost, it's, it's coming to terms with, with um, I'm trying to think of the best word here because it would be what people associate with selling out, but selling out isn't necessarily a negative thing. And I don't necessarily think that's particularly in your case, what this is, it's a case of finding the best logical solution for the goal that you wanted to achieve and then just putting all the eggs in that basket and going for it. And obviously seeing the rewards of it carry you further down the lane, sort of six years later, you're still obviously writing these books and, and doing well with them. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of it, it's really interesting because, you know, I didn't know that I was a romance reader, um, but I actually was. It's just that the books that I, I read, I thought they were kind of fantasy books, but really what they were was paranormal romances. And so I didn't really realized that I was a romance reader but I but I was so I to a certain extent I knew the genre quite well because those are the kind of books I read um and I knew I knew the kind of science fiction I wanted to write as well because I read those books but it's just it's it's a much harder kind of <laughs> genre to um this the, the types of books I like to much harder much more sort of nebulous genre to to kind of get into and what I didn't realize at the time was that um, the, the readers who read that genre are very, you know, that they're definitely going to judge a book um, as being self-published, um, whereas in romance, that's not really a thing that happens. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, selling it, I don't think really, you know, people accuse artists and musicians and writers and stuff of selling out, you know, but we've got a pay the bills and <laughs> you know no one no one accuses a computer you know a computer programmer or a nurse of selling out you know mm. how do you not you know nurse me for free or you, you know how you know how do you go and get a higher paying job like yeah you know, it's, it, it's it's a weird thing that we only we only say to to um to authors and things and i think more um more avant-garde if you will kind of work it's important that it's produced, but it's also the kind of thing you can you can do alongside work that um, you, you know that maybe is a, appeals to more people and and brings in that income. And it's perfect, you know, it's perfectly fine to kind of um, you know do do a few different things. Mm. Um, but yeah, you got you got to pay you got to pay the bills. And I, I think if you yeah if you're able to to make a living doing this and and you're having fun doing it, which is the key for me um then you know who cares who you what you're writing I love it. I do just want to be clear then that wasn't accusing you in any way of selling out at all no, um, no, I, I think, no i I think that um the uh, the idea of people uh particularly people that aren't hitting their goals or being where they want to be accusing the people that are accelerating and doing well of of selling out I think there's just a certain level of um like you say it's it's a mindset shift and it's something that um you you get to a point where you realize number one like you say it's fun and number two you do you do what you got to do but one thing that you uh you alluded to a little bit earlier that I was going to come on and ask is um you mentioned that your first book obviously took uh, a couple of years to write uh your next book got a bit quicker your next book got a bit quicker um what happened and, and correct me if I'm wrong in this but this is just sort of from looking through your back catalog and sort of the, the release dates what happened in 2017 2018 that accelerated your releases so much because the the amount of books that came out in 2018 and 2019 under your name is, is impressive. Um, so, I mean, 2018, 2019, I was full time. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty big thing. That's <laughs> um, <a good> one. <laughs> so, yeah. So I suddenly had a lot more time. I, I have been releasing pretty regularly um, since 
2015. I don't think I got much. I don't think I really got faster. I think it's, I mean, roughly sort of six books. I think some years have been seven books, some years have been eight books, but, you know, sometimes the books are shorter. Um, 2016, I made a lot of mistakes. So what I did was I released a book that, that went really well. So then instead of releasing the next book of that series, I went off and did a, like a co-writing project. And I did, <laughs> you know, some books under my other pen name. And I did all these different things which weren't focusing on what I was good at. And so I'm pretty sure I did do the same amount of books that year, um, but they're all spread all over the place. And some of them I've unpublished, recently unpublished about uh, three or four books from around that time, which I'm going to do a little bit of a re-edit on and re, uh, republish. Um, so, yeah, so I did have stuff from around that time, but, um, you yeah, know, I, I made that mistake. And in 2017, sort of the end of 2016, I was looking back on, like, well, this, you know, this year hasn't been working for me, so what's not working um, and what, what am I going to do in 2017 to make it work? So I just focused really hard on from, from pretty much from then on, on, you know, releasing, not spreading myself too thin. So just doing the thing that works uh, again and again and again. So next book in the series, next book in the series, not being distracted by shiny things over there and yeah, just focusing on giving my readers more and more that, of the things that they want. How did you begin to build up that relationship with your readers? You say that obviously in the beginning they were reaching out. You had people asking you for the next book, for for certain things to resolve. How did you cultivate that readership? And is that the sort? Is it the practices that you took then the same that you continue through to how you um, interact with them today? Pretty much. Um, I so in the in the earlier days, I didn't really do sort of didn't really do social media kind of things for my books like I had social media but it was more about you know just me personally I didn't really you know didn't really use it that much um but what I did have was I had the kind of the two things that were really big was I've always done cliffhangers in the backs of my books like really mean cliffhangers you know last page and someone you think someone's dead or it looks like the hero's a murderer or you know there's a big horrible twist in like the last sentence so I've always been real real mean with cliffhangers <laughs> and then I tend to put you know I kind of tend to underneath that sort of directly underneath that I tend to put a link to the next book that's on pre-order um and I tend to put a link to my newsletter um and I I've done newsletter, kind of newsletter bonuses, like bonus epilogue scenes and alternative scenes and stuff like that on, on the newsletter. And then when people sign up to the newsletter, there's like a little sequence they go through, like a kind of welcome sequence. And a lot of that sequence is kind of about getting them to, well, basically about getting them to reply to my emails. And so I spent, Especially in the earlier days when sort of before uh, kind of like Google was um, shuffling emails off to a different um, a different tab, um, I was getting a lot of replies to my emails of people commenting on the things that I'd said in, in that welcome sequence. And it kind of builds that really, it makes them feel really, so the readers feel like, you, you know, they've got this really personal relationship with you. Um and so, and, and then they, they, you know, they email and they tell me which, you know, which books were their favourites and why they liked this character and why this book was important to them and why they love, you know, romance books in general. And all that information is, you know, as an author is super useful because um, it's basically, you know, it's basically market research. Mm. And so, yeah, and so I've kind of been talking to my readers since then. And then um, 2017... 2018 around, around then I started a Facebook like a private Facebook group for my readers and that's just kind of accelerated things because yeah you can you can go on there and you can ask them what you know what book are you reading this week and you can run a poll and um you know, get all their answers to to the poll and um you can they can uh, they, what they love is they love um to you know book has a really mean cliffhanger and they love to have like a thread on the the group where they can talk about the cliffhanger and what they think's happened and you know who they think's responsible you know so they love doing stuff like that so um yeah so I love that kind of really personal relationship with them and I, I do think that helps to yeah helps them feel really connected to me and keeps them coming back to read more books I hope 
<laughs> Fantastic. One uh, one thing, obviously, we mentioned in the intro that all of this you are managing, despite the fact that you uh, are unable to, or you've been declared legally blind. How how does someone like yourself pump out so many words? How do you get involved in so many things? Because um, obviously there is a physical hindrance there, but it doesn't seem to have had any impact on on your determination, your drive, or stopped you in any way at all. And in fact, it seems to have propelled you further than a lot of people who are obviously of their full facilities, their full faculties. Well, thank you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, you know, I just, uh, this is, you know, this is my dream career. So I kind of feel like now I've got it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let it go. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to, I'm not going to fail due to my own inactivity kind of thing. Um, so what do I do? I, I try to write, I used to try it when I had my day job, I used to try and write 2000 words a day. That was always my goal. And a lot of the time I would do those 2000 words. Like I, I used to bus to work. So I would, um, take up my laptop on the bus and I usually get 500 words, a thousand words, um, on a, on a 30 minute bus trip. So I would do a lot. I try and do it on the bus. I try and do it in my lunch hours. Um, I, you know, I, I sort of made a promise to myself when I got into the tech sector because the, the tech industry is very, um, they kind of like you to basically live to work. Mm. Um, and a, a lot of my colleagues, you know, their entire social life was centered around the office and they would often be there, you, you know, they get, they'd be there at seven o'clock in the morning and they'd be still be there at seven o'clock at night kind of thing. And I made it a very, um, solid promise to myself that I was not to be like that. And so I would basically give the company, I would give the company myself for 40 hours a week, which is what they paid me for. And then if something was urgent, I would do it. But my definition of urgent would sometimes be very different to the definition of urgent because I was just a writer. And sometimes my managers would send me stuff at 8 PM at night and say, look, could you, you know, could you urgently eat, um, edit this for me and and they weren't urgent at all you know there's just the things that could be done it doesn't matter if it was done then or if it was done you know at 8 p.m at 8 a.m the following morning it's not urgent at all so i would just i wouldn't do it i'd wait till 8 p.m uh sorry 8 a.m the next day um and so you know maybe i missed out on some promotions because you know that was that was my promise that i made to myself but you know, it was more important to me that at the end of 40 hours, my creative energy, you know, the energy that I had left was my own to use. And I wasn't going to give any more of that to a company um, than, you know, what they were paying me for because it, it's quite important to me. So so I try and write, yeah, so I try and write 2,000 words a day and I try not to beat myself up if I didn't do it. But, you know, if, you, if you're doing 2,000 words a day and I try to do that on the weekends as well, um, and, you know, that's, that can be 60,000 words a month, which is, you know, a book that's essentially a book a month. And it wouldn't be quite that. So that's how I ended up with a book every two months. Um, and then and nowadays I try to do 4,000 words a day, 2,000 in the morning, 2,000 in the afternoon. Um, and I do usually get that most days, although often the 2,000 words in the afternoon will be on something other than fiction. So I'm not quite doing 4,000 words of fiction every single day. Um, but I'm definitely doing that sort of that amount of wordage. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you if you can get your word count up um, and the words that you produce, are, you know, you, you're keeping most of them, um, then, you know, eventually you just produce stuff. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's pretty much my system. I, you know, it's just, it's, it's too much fun. So, you know. <laughs> Why stops? I love it. There's there's so much of what you just said that is, I think, something that is missing from the mentality of people working, what what I'd call working for the machine. Because I I used to work in um, a marketing role. I used to be a marketing manager before that. I was obviously, I worked my way up from that. But I learned quite late into that career process about the idea of setting those definitive boundaries about what should and shouldn't be expected from yourself. And I know a lot of people... Um, a lot of friends of mine who work similar nine to five, eight to six, whatever jobs, who use use their work as an excuse not to do the things that they love. And I think what you're saying there about 
doing the hours that you've been paid for and sticking with that, unless it is a state of emergency. And like you say, not everyone's state of emergency matches up to yours because managers state of emergencies are so, so different. And what you'll often find is if you ignore an emergency for a couple of hours, it disappears by itself anyway, which is exactly a a key tip for anyone listening. But um, I was definitely, I was definitely the same. I, I worked my ass off until I was burned out while trying to write when I was in the day job. And then it wasn't until the final sort of six months or so that I kind of went, no, no, I'll clock in at this time. I'll leave it this time. That's what I'm getting paid for. Anything else? Because once you start working overtime and slipping into those routines and missing lunches, you are then setting the expectation for your managers, your superiors, your colleagues about what they can expect from you there on. You're setting that standard for them. It's not the other way around. So I think that's sort of sage advice just to, to say, stick with your boundaries, go for it. But what I wonder is, is where did that mentality come from for you? Was that always just how you saw it the minute you got your job it was a gateway to what you wanted to do or was there some was there like an event that triggered that in you how how did that come about I don't really know actually um (laughs) I think I have always wanted to work for myself I just didn't sort of quite articulate that um uh my my dad is um so he works for himself he's a builder um, and probably watching him, and he's worked for himself for a very long time, since I was four or five or something, he's run his own business. And I think, so I think watching him do that um, as, a, as a child, even though I didn't realise it at the time, kind of made me, you know, made me want, want to have that and, 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 and see the advantages and the disadvantages um, of, of having that. So I think I always wanted to work for myself. I just, you know, didn't really know how to get there um and uh I don't know I just I remember someone said to me or I read somewhere uh, something that that someone had said and it always kind of stuck with me which was that it was something like don't use your creative energy or, or be careful of using your creative energy to make someone else rich yes and when I when I got into the tech sector that was a big thing that that kind of yeah, that, that kind of governed my thinking because a, a big part of, um, you know, there's a big culture in tech. Um, and so, you know, I was at companies where they would sort of once a month they'd award, uh, a, you know, an award to an employee who was, you know, doing a really great job. And very often that really great job was more about, you know, oh, they're the first one in the morning and they're the last one to leave. And, they, yeah. you know, they're always, you know, they're, they're on call weekends for us. And, you know, I, I'm probably a little bit competitive, you know, and I, I would possibly every month I would think, oh, gosh, you know, I'd really like to have that award. But That's um, how they get you. Exactly, but that's how they get you. Um, mm. And, um, yeah, and, and, and they would be very big on, you know, telling you what the numbers were of the company every month and um, being very um, clear about um, – very open and honest about how well the company was doing, which is usually very well, so that you know everyone would be really engaged with um, you know building the product and helping the company meet its goals and stuff. But you know, I would always look at that and think, yeah, this is this is energy I could be spending doing this for myself. Mm. Um, and yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so that's what I did. Yeah, and that's so so key. Again, kind of beating that that nail over the head, but I think it's so important that. The, the the thing that resonated with me when when I sort of discovered that truth was how willing I was at one point to expend all my energy into the role I was doing and then come home and be tired around my son and my then partner. When you look at that in reverse, that, that shouldn't make sense because the parts of your life that you choose are the parts that aren't necessarily with work. So why aren't you giving your energy, the best of your energy to the sides that you want to um, help grow, help flourish, as opposed to the stuff that you kind of have to do to make money. It's just, a, it's just a weird twist that I see people have in their heads. But I mean, obviously, some yeah. people like the nine to five, and that works for them. But I think just the the principle of, like you say, giving that creative energy to the areas of your life that you have control over, you want to push forward and and accelerate. And obviously, for you, that then led well into this career of writing. So um, exactly. yeah, I think it's a fantastic point to hit on. Why, um, I know obviously we've addressed why you split down into two pen names. Uh, something I'm curious about is how do you find managing those two pen names now? Because I know myself uh, on a few occasions have thought about going under a couple of pen names. Um, I know listeners will have considered this as well. What are the sort of pros and cons in your mind of running two pen names? So 
basically where I'm at in my career right now, which is sort of different than, than from when I was in 2014-15 when I started the second name, is that Stephanie Holmes, uh, my romance pen name, basically pays all the bills. And so she is very tightly branded. So, um, so her branding is very, yeah, very tight. So, if you read a Stephanie Holmes book, you pick up any kind of Stephanie Holmes book, you know exactly what you're getting. Um, and a reader can read through my entire catalogue, um, and they won't, you know, they won't come across a single book where they're like, oh, that is a weird book to be here." So, and that's very, very, very deliberate. And when I when I had SC Green in the beginning, I just thought, um, yeah, I just thought, you know, this is my name, so everything I'm going to write is going to come under that. But then when I was sort of looking at, you know, researching how to do, um, how, how to self-publish successfully, uh, you know, this kind of pen name, this idea of pen names that are tightly branded came up. Um, and there were a lot, a lot of benefits. Um, you know, the, the uh, Algorithms on Amazon will recommend you to more of the right people because you've got a very well-defined audience. Um, it's just that reader expectation kind of thing because readers, you know, we as authors, we often read quite widely, um, but people who are readers, they very often have like a, like a specific genre. They just read again and again and again, and they don't really deviate from that genre. And so they don't want, they want to, they, when they pick up a book, they want a really specific um, experience from it and they don't want to be surprised and so if you have lots of different stuff under, under one name then you know readers that they don't know what they're going to get when they pick a book up and it makes them less inclined to pick a book up um I, I sort of think and and they, they don't cross over very well like your you know your mystery readers won't usually cross over to your romance books or your romance readers won't cross over to your young adult fantasy books but, you know some of them will but not as many as if they were just all the same genre, um, which I guess is the big pro. Um, what I'm doing now is I'm kind of looking at my other my other non-romance books and starting to think about how can I more tightly brand that and what do I actually want to do with that other pen name. So I'm actually in the process of rebranding my um, other pen name. Um, so I'm going from SC Green to Steph Green uh, because I've decided I want I want my name uh as part of the as part of the brand um and i've got my old um, my old science fiction series my dark science fiction series but i think that's probably the only one i'm going to write of those um and i've i have another series under that name which i've co-written with uh, another writer which is a, a sort of a post-apocalyptic series um, and we've got a final book to write in that series, um, which we keep putting off. And <laughs> uh, but that's actually going to—I'm actually going to be rebranding that under Stephanie Holmes because I think it's—it's—it's it's, it's got enough romance in it. It's got a, a happily ever after that I think those readers will will enjoy it. So I'm actually going to rebrand that, going to take that off that name, rebrand that under the other name, and then I'm just going to use—I'm um, going to use Steph Green for my non-fiction writing books, um, of which I have a few now. And for sort of random, interesting, non-romance, yeah, weird fiction projects, if you will, um, that are going to go into that pandemic. So I, I did, uh, uh, two years ago, I did a Kickstarter for a children's picture book, um, which was called only freaks turn things into bones um and it's about nice. a little group it's about a little group <laughs> reaper um who gets bullied and it, um yeah and we were successful um myself and an illustrator friend and so that book came out 2019 and so that's under that pen name and we, we're currently working on another book um another illustrated book and so those kind of things are going to go under that pen name so i quite like that as a it's kind of a catch-all pen name for non-romance related projects and it it's okay if those projects don't earn, you know, a ton of a ton of money for the effort put in because Stephanie Holmes is my bread and butter. Yeah, I love it. So many plates spinning in the air. As a as someone who um, co-writes a lot of books uh, myself, I am curious: how did your uh, co-writing partnership come about with your co-writer, and what does that look like now? 
Um, it looks like now it looks like we're two very busy people who <laughs> 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 uh, it's, it's a little bit too focused on our more successful non-co-written books to finish our series that we started. <laughs> um, so I can't actually remember how it came about. I think she was looking for a co-writer and I'd read one of her books and thought it was quite good and, and thought, hey, I could do that. It'd be interesting, you know, instead of writing more books in my successful series i'll you know go do something else um that's a really sensible business decision <laughs> um, and i i loved everything about the process except for so she's a wonderful writer i love the books that we produced i enjoyed working with her what i i, I don't like about it is i feel as though it was exactly the same amount of work as it would have been to write the book myself yes and i earn half the money and I think that's the way she feels as well really and for that reason I think that's why we keep putting off this third and final book mm. um yeah double the so, work after uh, result or the same yeah. work after result result exactly so I uh, yeah so I think I, re I really enjoyed the, the the process as kind of as a creative experiment but I, I don't I would not be in a hurry to do it again um, okay. And I love, and I love my co, I love my co-writer. She's amazing, amazing writer. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that is something that uh, a lot of people uh, don't see because I think, particularly in my, I've, I've co-written across various different um, methods and styles of co-writing. Uh, but yeah, I think the the one thing that people do expect is that it is going to be half the work. And obviously, if you're trying to pour the the passion and the respect into the book that you're trying to do. It doesn't. It doesn't remove any of those levels. It just kind of means that you've got two of you adding your eyes onto there. And I mean, for me anyway, I found that the projects that I produced with my co-writers was always stronger than I probably could have come up with myself. But yeah, it's still, like you say, still the same amount of work putting in. So it's definitely something for people to consider. Exactly. Um, and, you, and you know, there's lots of people that really love it. Like a lot of my close author friends, you know, their their entire pen name is co-written. Mm. And they just, you know, if you have a really close relationship with another another writer, it can be a really amazing way um, to work. And especially if you're trying to do something where you're trying to release a lot of books really quickly kind of thing, it can be amazing. Yes. Um, but, yeah, just definitely not, definitely not for me. <laughs> Fair enough. We are annoyingly coming uh we're starting to run out of time this is this is absolutely flown um which is really annoying because i have a lot more questions but uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> i am gonna dive into uh my patreon questions so my uh guys that support me over at patreon.com forward slash great writers share put forward questions every week to the guests on the show um and i've got a small selection here that i'm just gonna throw at you and obviously take these whichever way you want to go um awesome. the, the first question is uh what is your top productivity tip or the go-to habit that keeps you on track um so when i i don't do this every day but when i am faltering and i'm looking at facebook more than i'm writing what i usually do is i put a timer on for 20 minutes and i close all my tabs on my browser except for the one with my google document and i just put the timer on and I write for 20 minutes. Um, and I think it flips the switch in my head, which kind of says, this is a competition, and you're competing against yourself. And I love to, you know, <laughs> love to win. <laughs> love to compete, I think. So, um, so yeah, so, so in 20 minutes, I will usually get somewhere between 400 and 700 words. And then I'll, I'll jump up from a chair, and I'll take like a couple of minutes break, and then I'll go back to the computer. I'll do another 20 minutes. And that will usually, if I'm, if I'm floundering, that will usually knock out my 2,000 my two words in, in an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. And then I'll celebrate. Nice, fantastic advice. Uh, how do you reward yourself when you've completed a project? Uh, so how do I do that? Um, so usually... <laughs> I'm very usually interested when... in this because I do not do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I'm probably pretty bad because usually when I am finishing a project, especially if it's like the last book in a series, all I want to do is start the next book. So yes. often the reward is just starting <laughs> the next book. Um, I... I have to go into the city um, to print out my manuscript on, on paper so that my husband, who's my beta reader, can read it. So when I finish the, the draft that I give to him, and I have to go into the city, um, I will usually take myself out for a nice lunch. Um, and I'll, you know, often by myself, sometimes with a friend, and I'll just take my Kindle along and I'll, I'll 
order all the food I want and I'll read my book for an hour or two and that's a really nice reward. Um, and sometimes I'll just take half a day off and I'll just sit on the couch and read a book or do a puzzle or watch a movie I've been really desperate to see or something like that. Yeah, because I think it is really important to reward yourself and, you know, remember that, you know, remember why you're doing this. Um, and that also, and that writing a book is a really big achievement. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite place to write? Oh, my desk. <laughs> nice and simple. Um, I, yeah, nice and simple. I have a beautiful um, office in the house that we've made and it's kind of coloured. It's The walls are like a blood red kind of colour and I've got big black um, floor-to-ceiling bookshelves that are completely filled with books and my desk is like an old, like a really old-fashioned lawyer's desk and my husband's made me a stand for my my um, computer screen so it sits really close to my face and I've got this beautiful big um, curved screen and it's just it, it's like perfectly set up for me and it's just the best and, I, and there's cats that sit on the desk all day <laughs> while I write so it's just perfect I just love it additional question on top of that just from my own curiosity as well what was your favorite place before the house was built because obviously that sounds like it was almost spec built to exactly how you wanted it so I, can, I can't blame you for for sitting at that desk all day where where would it have been beforehand? I mean, I don't know if I really... I mean, I would usually write at home at a desk in the corner of our bedroom. Mm. But I'm not sure I really thought of it as, you know, this is my favourite place to write. It's just, you know, that was where, where, I, that was where I wrote. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's cool because when, when, when we built the house, obviously I could make my writing space however I wanted. So I basically just built the dream library and yeah. it's great. Sounds incredible. Sounds beautiful. Uh, we are coming up to the quick fire round now. So uh, as with all of my guests, I finish off the interviews with 10 questions that I fire at you as quickly as possible. Uh, feel free to try and reply as quickly as possible. But if any questions do stump you, you are allowed to pass and that is okay because there is nothing at stake here. <laughs> okay. Uh, first question, ketchup or mayonnaise? Uh, we call it tomato sauce in New Zealand, but okay. ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> Megadeth yeah. or Iron Maiden? that's really tough but Iron Maiden what's your preferred method of transport train Caesar's, or, air, oh. yeah, or, or really tiny airplane or nice Caesar <laughs> salad or 12 ounce rump steak rump steak what are you currently reading oh what am I currently reading um, this stumps a lot uh, of people yeah, because I'm reading like I'm reading like five books at once. I'm reading I'm reading a book called A is for Arsenic, which is about all the different poisons used in Agatha Christie novels. Interesting, um, and it's it's an awesome book. Yeah, uh, who was the last writer to make you laugh? I don't remember her name, um, but the book is called The Flat Share, and it's like a rom com book um, about a, a, a woman and a man who are sharing a flat. Um, we are, you know, he works night shift, so they're sharing the bed. He works night shift and she sleeps in the bed and then she works during the day and he sleeps in the bed. And it's <laughs> hilarious. The flat share, can't remember the author's name. Okay. Uh, if you could narrow down your success to one single person, who would it be? My success? Yes. Me? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Do you have any siblings? Yes, uh, one sister. Do you have a favourite word? Eldritch. What's one Christmas present you wished you got but never received? Oh, um, I would really like, if this is Christmas, I really like someone to get me for Christmas, which I've never got, um, the, uh, like a voucher to go and fly a plane. Ah, oh, love it. Uh, what's your favourite song of all time? Really hard, um, but... Uh, into my arms, uh, Nick Haven, the bed seeds. Beautiful. Fantastic. That's 10 questions. One bonus question. Where can our listeners find out everything about you and all that you're working on? Awesome. Um, so I have a website, uh, www.stephmetal.com, which is where you can find out all about my fiction work. And for my non-fiction for writers, you can go to www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com. Um, 
and I've got um, I've got a book uh, there called How to Rock Self Publishing. I run um, a self publishing course, um, and there's a whole bunch of free resources and videos and articles and stuff for writers, and that's really cool. So yeah, that's probably the the two best places. Beautiful. As you can tell, there's so much we didn't get to cover in this interview, but we uh, we might have to look up a, a hooking another date up and, and getting you back on the show. It's been an absolute blast. I'm super keen. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Steph. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. And thanks everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be talking to Craig Falconer, sci-fi author. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwriterssshare. Until next time.